this is the idea of cooperation and collaboration. Again, as you know, it is so essential to any entrepreneur, to any innovator. You cannot do it all by yourself. The days of doing all along, as, as you know, long gone. Welcome to Forward with NACI, Inspiring Entrepreneurial Action, a podcast that shares the stories of everyday entrepreneurs, entrepreneurial leaders, and the communities that support us. We hope that this diverse collection of stories brings you inspiration, inspires you to take action, and ignites entrepreneurship in your community as we make our way forward together. Welcome to this episode of Forward with NACI. I'm delighted to share with you the expertise from a special friend that I made on my trip to Washington, D.C. earlier in February for the Association of Community College Trustees. So I would love to welcome Reza Jafari to the program, who's an entrepreneur. He's a college trustee from the state of Maryland. So uh, Reza, thank you for joining us today. It was so good to see you. And we were reminiscing about our wonderful conversations together in DC. So we're gonna dive into that. But why don't you begin by introducing yourself? Who are you? What is some of the the work that you're doing um, right now that connects to entrepreneurship? Thank you, Vicki. It's a pleasure to be here. And it was a great pleasure to meeting you and visiting with you in Washington, D.C. as well. It sounds like a, this is the beginning of a long, long-term relationship with, your, with the NACI and with the college that I happen to be a member of the Board of Trustees. Uh, as you said, yeah, my name is Reza Jafari, and uh, some people know how to pronounce it or not, but that's, that's okay. I'll, I'll take it whatever uh, comes <laughs> towards me. Uh, I'm currently a trustee board member of the Chesapeake College in Maryland and uh, the trustees are being appointed by the governor. And at the same time, I'm running a small consulting firm now. Uh, this is my uh, kind of my fifth or sixth entrepreneurship stint, if you will, uh, as an advisor to senior executives and CEOs of the corporations in the US and overseas. I make some uh, investments and part- participate in entrepreneurship. I mentor some uh, folks who are getting into the entrepreneurship arena um, also, uh, sitting on the several other non-for-profit organizations board, including chairman of the Economic Development Commission uh, for Talbot County, that happened to be the county uh, that I li- live in. And in, uh, previously, I was the commissioner of the Economic Development for the state of Maryland. That was another appointment by the governor. So I've been involved again in, in, in some, some other areas, uh, but the part that really uh, brings me back to your question is uh, my interest, my passion, and in my journey that I started as an entrepreneur myself, and now I feel this is the time for me to share this with other groups uh, through the work that I do, through ecosystem development, strategic planning, business development, and even making some investments, if you will, in those uh, small companies or startups that they feel that they need to have some kind of a starting point to get started. Yeah, you have such a rich background. And I just for our listeners, we have listeners in nearly 500 American cities, 42 countries around the world. And I thought it was interesting. You and I were sitting in a general session. There were maybe 500 people there and they asked for questions from the audience. So you jumped up literally out of your seat. And I remember you asking the secretary for higher education what he thought the role of entrepreneurship was in economic recovery. And that caught my attention in a big way. So I was strategizing on how to get over and and get my card to you. And I think what struck me as we spent more time talking is 
I really consider you to be an early adopter. You saw opportunities that are just, you know, everything that probably anyone who is, is, is working in some shape or form in a company is using today. But you've taken, I think, your vision for seeing what is possible and tried to create um, products that provide value. And you've written a chapter in a book, which we're going to get into. But tell us a little bit more about the story from the early days of what you saw in terms of, uh, you know, conferencing and connecting people to one another that fast forward, you know, a couple decades later is commonplace. Yeah, but I, I did my MBA and my doctorate degree in instructional systems technology and innovation at Indiana University. Uh, and even when I was finishing my degree and my program at Indiana, I was helping faculty development workshops for the entire state of Indiana. Of course, you're from Indiana. You know the Indiana University well. You know about all the campuses from Gary, Indiana, all the way to South Bend and, and everything in between, I guess. Uh, that, that was the time, again, I felt that there is an, an entrepreneur and innovator in every one of us. And, but there are moments that there are somehow kind of a tipping points, if you will, that we all get to the point of taking that one step further and then trying to put that passion to purpose and that purpose to plan. So that was the, the, the time I was approached by a headhunter to be hired by a trade association that serves banking industry to move to Chicago. Uh, tried to make the long, long, very, very long story short, I moved to, to Chicago. And uh, that was the time, again, they wanted to introduce a program to the banking industry as a new service that the bankers need to get involved, but we needed to get through the entire country and uh, hold those one on uh, kind of face to face programs, if you will, with the speakers and questions and answers and, and the rest. Uh, they wanted to do it in about uh, 15 locations or so, but we did not have enough speakers. We did not have enough speakers from the government side to help us out. So I came up with the concept of doing a video conference. At, at the time, nobody even knew how to spell video conference. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we did it via video conference in 39 days. And instead of just going and reaching about 50 or 60 people at each location, we were able to reach about 150 people, give or take some of them more, some of them some less, uh, throughout the country. And in one day, we delivered what we could have been a probably three or four months of, uh, venture for us to get on the road and do the road show. And I'm not against the road shows, but this was the other op opportunity we had to be able to have the limited resources that happened to be our speakers and the time, because this program was going to be implemented in less than two months to get the message out, to get the information out and being able not to provide a service, but also bring some revenue and some kind of turning the purpose into profit, if you will, <laughs> for the association. And after I asked for help, but uh, uh, what would be my personal incentive and motivation from this program, I was told I need to acclimate myself to the American culture. And that was the time I decided, that, okay, this is the time now I need to take this concept and do something with it. Well, throughout the next uh, 10 or 12 years, I built a company with only $500, nothing else. I sold the company once after I turned it into about a million dollar revenue in the first year. And after about the the 10 years or so, we were doing about $65, 70000000 million. I bought the company back because I had that option, which is another element of our, I guess, entrepreneurship, if you will. Always try to keep your interests in, involved as the co company grows. And I sold the company to EDS at the time that happened to be now today called Hewlett Packard, 
uh, because they acquired that uh, the company, EDS, is now part of Hewlett Packard. So that became kind of a, my, my background in, in a short note, if you will, to be able to have seen uh, where the uh, concept starts, where the program goes. And throughout this whole journey, I learned many lessons that I would love to, to share with you and the, the audience. Yeah, I'd love to get into some of those lessons. When I hear you and when I met you the first time, I was struck by how passionate you are to create things that that don't exist and, and make pathways and, and do things. And I think that is a special quality, but I agree with you as well that we believe at NACI that anyone can be an entrepreneur. It, it, it does not matter what your career path is even. You know, some people will be like you and, and very successful starting businesses and selling them and, you know, get the entrepreneurship bug. And there are other people, um, as you know, that might choose a path in education. People like myself who are running an association, but very much trying to do so with an entrepreneurial mindset and providing value to people and, we see even increasingly, you've held very high positions in the state of Maryland. We're in discussions with stakeholders um, in the federal government of how can we help them to use the tools that we've created through community colleges to help with this entrepreneurial mindset and equity. So I I just appreciate that work so much. And what we are doing this month at NACI in April is looking at skilled trades, you know, making workforce development. And I know that's something that has been very uh, important to you as a leader, uh, but also to your college. So you had mentioned about a very uh, significant workforce development effort that's going on. Would you share with us um, what that is in the state of Maryland and perhaps how your community college that you serve as a trustee on is engaged in that work? I did something which is almost like a reverse engineering. As, as you know, again, uh, the, the college that I serve on the Board of Trustees, the Chesapeake College, is in the rural Maryland. So uh, there are many uh, similarities between uh, rural America and some of the developing world, believe it or not. I served more than 12 years as a special advisor to the Secretary General of the United Nations and chaired a UN agency in Geneva while I was doing my, my other work. This was my night job, if you will. That was my, my volunteer job trying to contribute not only to my country and uh, to our community, but being able to uh, serve some of the areas that the humanity needed some help. And the idea of workforce development kind of came from the places and communities and occasions that people were telling me, yes, you guys, Americans, have been giving us fish for many years, but we do not like just to get the fish, we like to learn how to fish. And that's where that kind of a workforce development, the core of the workforce development is coming in and trying to help people just to be able to survive either through food and donations or other matters. They like to become producers. They like to become contributors. They like to be able to create something. And that was the genesis of my question, as you recall uh, from the Secretary of Education, that although we are looking at community colleges trying to provide the workforce, for jobs that are already available, but we can also at the same time create an environment, create a program that the graduates of the community colleges, people who are going through this program, they become producers themselves, they become job creators. And that was a concept again, as I shared with, the, with you and with the Secretary of Labor and Secretary of Commerce, and even the US Department of Agriculture, USDA, that has a quite a few number of grants in our area to work together and create an environment that we can bring our resources from the private sector, ask them to do a matching fund for us to be able to create 
the workforce development. So workforce development, especially the areas that does not require a full college degree and areas that people can start learning a, a trade, a learning a technology, learning something that is gonna be helpful, not only for themselves, but for their community. At the same time that they're, they're looking for a job, they can become job creators and job, job producers by building the companies, the startup, small businesses. Again, as you know, one of the largest job creators of the country uh, small businesses. And of course, yeah. I- I- innovation, again, just like entrepreneurship is, uh, all of us know it doesn't have to be a widgets and the gadgets that you can create innovation, innovative ideas. It could be a creation of the business model. It could be a creation of, again, a new mousetrap, if you will, that can become part of the innovative area that we are involved in. Yeah, I loved that idea. And it, it connects so beautifully to the work that we do here at NACI. And one of the things that I've learned over the last seven or eight years is really opportunities to partner with the government to experiment with things, right? So the USDA, for example, you can work on cooperative agreements. Uh, We have been in conversation with the U.S. Department of Commerce, you know, had some outreach with some of their advisors about looking at filling the gap. And that was very hopeful to me because I think so many times people will either shop a solution, which is not really identifying a problem. It's just something that they might want to do. But I see some of the leaders in government, especially now, trying to identify what gaps might exist. So um, in a recent conversation, it was, you know, we were talking about different groups. You had mentioned immigrants make exceptional entrepreneurs. And we've also talked about women. You know, women entrepreneurs only receive about 7% of venture funds, which is There's lots of reasons for that, including a lot of the businesses that women start are kind of everyday businesses sometimes that don't need venture funding, but there are others. So I think it's an interesting uh, space that you're exploring and really leveraging what uh, community colleges can bring to the mix. What we do with NACI is provide a network. So we work with over 300 community colleges and a growing number of universities and HBCUs. So we we engage teams of people to tackle things together and say, I might be an expert in this area. And then there might be a college that's more suburban or rural or urban that brings a whole other set of um, skills and tools together. And, And so we're creating sort of that synergy. So I would love to hear, and our listeners probably would love to hear a little bit more about Chesapeake College. Tell us you know, kind of the kinds of students that you serve. You had mentioned that you're more rural. Do you have ag entrepreneurship? Just kind of give us an understanding of what it might be like if we stepped onto the campus. Oh, well, great. Well, the Chesapeake College was built in 1965 uh, through a cooperative effort that that by itself, when you look back and put it in perspective, that was an innovation by itself because mm-hmm. none of the five counties that they are in this Eastern shore of Maryland were able and qualified or had the resources of being able to build their own community college. Again, as you know, again, at the, at the county level. So what they did, they all got together, five of them. Uh, that was uh, in the Dorchester County, Caroline County, Kent County, Queen Anne's County, and Talbot County. So they all got together and they said, instead of just having five community colleges that we cannot afford, we cannot have, what if we all put our heads together and resources together and create one community college that is going to serve all of us? So that became kind of the starting point of it. And then, of course, they, they took the idea to the state. And the state says, well, if you're, this is the plan that you have, I will provide you with one third of your budget. 
the five counties decided we will provide another third of the budget, and another third of the budget is coming from tuition and fees and the rest. So the governance, and of course the governance structure, each county happened to have two representatives, nominated by the county, confirmed, and of course appointed by the governor to be members of the board of trustees. So the little history of the Chesapeake College, again, going back to over 50 years ago, was that let's just work together. This is the idea of cooperation and collaboration. Again, as you know, it is so essential to any entrepreneur, to any innovator, you cannot do it all by yourself. The days of doing all along, as you know, long gone. So that was the genesis. Again, the five counties came together, started the program with the, uh, with the liberal arts, added some, some other elements to it. And of course, now they're, they're running one of the best programs on the, in the nursing and the healthcare science. And just like any community college, there are the two separate tracks, but somehow interrelated. One track, of course, is after you finish your two-year community college, you're ready to transfer. You go to your four-year program. The other part, of course, is our trade and the technology group. And that is the group now we are kind of adding the element of the innovation and entrepreneurship that I've been discussing with you and we are hoping that we would be joining NACI very soon and we would be benefiting from all the great things that NACI does for all the member community colleges. And that those are, again, the certificate programs run from uh, the, the commercial driver's license, the, the, the truck driving uh, to electricians, carpenters, and uh, the healthcare in, in particular uh, was able to get another uh, $50 million uh, grant from the governor to build a very, very state-of-the-art, again, a very uh, innovative area for uh, the nursing programs that people can come in and go, go through the program and they receive their AA degree in nursing. We did one more thing, uh, that is probably an interesting element, I guess, again, if I may just say a minute or so, that we work with some universities and colleges uh, around the, uh, the four-year colleges and universities in the state of Maryland and even in, in the state of Delaware. We said we can have a spot in our uh, premises if you wanted to have a portion of your program to be offered at our premise. So we extended it to several colleges like universities, the Salisbury University, Towson University of Maryland, and Stafford, and they all came together and they said, that's a great idea. We will call it the Midshore Center for Higher Education. The faculty members who come to this kind of a center, they are faculty members from those four-year colleges or universities. But what happens after you finish your two-year program at Chesapeake College, then you will be able to go to the center, get your four-year degree, get your master's degree. And now we have two programs that offers PhD. So you come to the same location, you Mm -hmm. go to the same program, you finish your community college program, but you can still come to the same location and finish all the way to two PhDs. One is in pharmacology, become pharmacist. And -hmm. another one is in education you can get an EDD degree like a TA and education management yeah, uh, before that's, leaving that's, campus. That's amazing. And we were talking uh, in March, we interviewed Dr. Alan Mack, who was one of the founders of the first urgent care uh, facility. He's a medical doctor, just a wonderful visionary person. And we were talking about nursing and medical care and all, all of the challenges. And it seems to me 
that the model that you have there at Chesapeake College is something that other states, if they don't know about, they should look into. And then that's really the service that we provide in large part at NACI is really shining a light on systems that work. And that really connects, I think, to entrepreneurial mindset too, right? Because you're partnering up together, you're looking at the uh, student as the customer, you're looking at lifetime students, right? You're looking at people that might, maybe they come to the college for a CNA and they end up going to become a nurse. And ultimately, if they want to continue that career path or that career ladder, they potentially could, you know, become, a, you know, a doctor or or something else. So your practitioners, that's right. Yes. Someday I'm looking forward to coming down and, and seeing that um, and doing that. But it really, as we kind of draw to a close on our conversation, the time has gone by so fast. I would just love it, Reza, if you might share a few things that you've learned through the pandemic as, as a leader and, and somebody who I know you have medical professionals in your family that might be of, of interest to people um, who are listening. Well, I, 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 I am a person who not only has the passion, but I always look at the glass half full. So I, in the middle of all the pr- problems that we all went through with the pandemic and the COVID and everything else, I try to look at the bright side. And I believe, again, uh, the, the book that I re- re- referred to you again, with, uh, I wrote the chapter of it. I'm looking at, again, what is the bright side? What is the silver lining of all this thing, uh, kind of a COVID coming in? Because we know someday it's going to go through, but we're going to be learning a lot of lessons through having gone through this journey, many of us, millions of us together. One area that came up very, very clearly, you need to think out of the box. You need to become resilient. You cannot just look back and give up as soon as the crisis arises. You cannot just close your shop and go home. Even if you're home, you can still work. Even if you can, if you go home, even if you own a restaurant and shut it down, you can still deliver food on the curbside for people to come and pick it up. So your business is closed, but your business is not closed. Kind of extending it and expanding it to four areas. One, of course, is education, that we could not close our shops and say, well, since we, everything is shut down, we cannot provide our educational opportunities and have this, you know, our students and faculty and staff benefit from our existence and our, our presence. That was one area, again, that you can see in, in this chapter. Another area is the healthcare. We cannot, again, shut down and say, well, since there is only one area of the healthcare that everybody is paying attention to, and that happened to be COVID, we're going to shut down everything else. So the work that I've been working on, again, as I said, instructional systems technology, and now adding the telehealth on the top of it, that became an acceptable way of practicing. And my wife, is a doctor of nurse, she's a doctor of nurse practitioner. She started offering those services. And the patients were happy that they have access to her. The patients were happy that they have access to medication and the prescription that she, she writes for them. And they were happy that the, the health continuity is not disconnected. They cannot go to the office for a visit, but the continuity of the health has been protected because they received the service from her. Another element, of course, was our government services. You mentioned about emergency management. You mentioned about urgent care. The government could not shut down. Yes, you cannot go to your office and provide the services, but the importance of technology helping the government employees provide the services that everybody needed, especially, again, when you were trying to send the money to people again that they needed money. Okay. Government was, the federal government was saying, we are going to give you financial support, but somebody had to transfer that fund from the government to the individual, being able to get it to the groceries or get it to the again, other areas that they needed. 
So those are the areas that again, the resilience and connectivity came to, to, uh, to, to play. And I look at it again, as I said, this is a kind of a, a silver lining that helped us to understand what other ways and what that other means we can work together. Cooperation and collaboration became the centerpiece of it. Connectivity and communication and technology came over. And then all of us working together were able to provide the service and slowly come out of it where we are today, although we are not totally out. But still, these are lessons that we learned. And one other thing that I have learned throughout my, not only COVID, but throughout my career, as I shared with you, is a concept that I very firmly believe in. It's called H-I-T-T, Honesty, Integrity, Trust, and Transparency. That's, that's the concept of the hit that I believed in. And I also believe, again, just like you said at the outset, after you, you learn, after you earn, and after you become a, a success story of your own, it's a time for you to give, give back to the community and start sharing your knowledge, sharing your experience, sharing the things that you have done that made you who you are. Whether it's a great success or minimum success, it doesn't matter. You can share this with the next generation of the leaders and the entrepreneurs and the people who are coming behind you so you do not take it with you but you share it with the next generation as you move on that is a beautiful way to end a wonderful conversation and it really is in that spirit of giving and creating new things and making the world a better place and i think that is the kind of thing that helps us all get unstuck because everyone gets stuck at some point So I would encourage people to pick up your book, Aftershock and Opportunities. We are looking forward to featuring that in the NACI store uh, later on in the spring. So you can find that there at NACI, N-A-C-C-E.com. And I want to thank you so much for uh, sharing some really interesting ideas and sharing your life story with all of our listeners. So I wish you a wonderful day. And for all of those who are listening, I wish you the same and go out there and make the world a better place. Pleasure. Thank you. We're with you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you will continue to explore the many ways to define entrepreneurship with NACI as we celebrate opportunity, failing forward, and success, learning from one another along the way. Subscribe to this podcast on your favorite platform and follow at NACI on social media and learn more about us at NACI.com forward slash podcast. Stay tuned for a new episode each week. We look forward to making our way forward together with you. Have you heard the exciting news? NACI recently released a new publication titled The NACI Playbook, Volume 1, all about how entrepreneurial mindset sets the new standard for success in communities and colleges. The NACI Playbook digs into entrepreneurial mindset and how practicing leadership with this framework creates an agile culture with space to innovate, co-create, fail forward, and accelerate growth. Entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial leadership require us to lean in, anticipate and recognize trends, manage change, be resilient, take risks, reflect, and rest in the knowledge that anything is possible. Learn from our innovative, insightful, generous network who navigates both challenges and opportunities entrepreneurially as we share what we've learned and how you might apply their experience to your work. We hope you'll be as inspired as we were. 
Learn more at www.nacyplaybook.com.